I am really, really excited what the Lord has given me to speak tonight. I think it's, it's really going to be transformative. Um, but I'm also a little bit nervous about it, and so I'm going to pray for you, and you guys pray for me. Does that sound like a good deal? Okay, let's do that, all right? Heavenly Father, we testify to the reality that you are in this place right now. You are present to us. You are with us. And you are for us. Father, in the strong name of Jesus, we speak against any place of fear, anxiety, despair, depression, regret, guilt. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you usher those things out of this place and establish for us home, safety, togetherness that we might come before you, we might sit at your feet and learn from you, for you are our great teacher. Heavenly Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be ever-pleasing into your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're continuing on in our spiritual gift series, and this week we're talking about the spiritual gift of hospitality. When, when, when Cole and I were laying out this next section, I just jumped at this opportunity because I love hospitality. It's something that has been written into my DNA since I was a child. And I want us to begin and end the conversation with tea. We're going to talk about tea tonight. You see, I come from a culture that operates around the idea of tea. In Irish culture, we have tea up to six times a day. If you were to go to somebody's house, immediately they're going to offer you tea and biscuits. And it's actually etiquette to say no twice, and by the third time they ask, then you say yes. If you don't, it's actually impolite. Don't ask me how that works. But I grew up in a family that tea and biscuits was the, was the name of the game automatically. And it was something that I was brought up to believe in. It was something that I was brought up to do. Because what it does is it establishes already a connection. Tea is the second most drank beverage behind water, followed by beer and then coffee. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the top three beverages, other than water, are things that we by default assume are social operations. So many countries and cultures have these amazing ceremonies around the idea of tea or coffee. Now this country, unfortunately, does not have a great tradition of tea because you threw it into <laughs> the river. And if that doesn't say something about the American spirit, I don't know what does. But when we think of tea, we think of hospitality. And I think a lot of times, hospitality is certainly one of those gifts that we look at and we say, oh, that's cute, and there's somebody out there that will take care of it so the big people can have their way and they can do what they want to do. It's one of those ones that we tend to elevate to something that is very practical, and sometimes even mundane. Sometimes we look at it as an aside. But I want us to change our perspective tonight as we're talking about what hospitality really means in the kingdom of God. I want us to elevate it to its heavenly perspective, to see that hospitality is something that we're all called to, although some of us are gifted in very specific ways to lead the conversation. And that hospitality is actually at the foundation of what the kingdom of God is. 
So let's elevate hospitality to that place. I want to define hospitality tonight in this way. The gift of hospitality offers others the dignity and honor of being human. Cole was even joking that perhaps we should spell honor with a U because we're having tea. (laughs) But hospitality offers others the dignity and the honor of what it is to be a human being. I think even when we start there, it aligns so much of what we've learned growing up about what matters, about what is foundational, and about what we're called to do and what we're called to be. Ladies, would either of you like a cup of tea? There you go, take it. And I think when we start the conversation here, it leads us into some very different places because we begin to ask the questions, What does it mean to see other people as human beings? Who gets to define that? Who leads that conversation? And as Christians, of course, we say the greatest representation of humanity that we have ever seen is Christ Jesus. And as a natural follow-through of that, the person who is most equipped and has the best lens for seeing others as human was, in fact, Jesus. I love that even Cole praying earlier, talked about the renewed mind and the renewed heart. And these things lead us to renewed eyes that we begin to see things the way that Jesus does. And so I want to talk about hospitality tonight from two perspectives, one of home and one of kindness. And this is by no means comprehensive of what the gift of hospitality is, but my hope and prayer is that it begins a conversation in our community that continues to play out day by day. So we're going to begin with the idea of home, and we'll hit kindness in a little bit. So let's start there. People with the gift of hospitality create home, both spiritually and physically. You know, a lot of times we we allocate things in our world. We believe this dualism that there is the spiritual world over here, and then there's the physical world over here. And we even bring that sometimes into our conversation about the gifts, that we say, here are the spiritual gifts, because they're the obvious demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there are these other physical gifts over here. Last week, we talked about administration. The week before, we talked about helps. And even before that, we talked about the gift of service. And sometimes we look at those, and we say, those are practical and physical. And what we're really saying is, oh, those are mundane. Those are normal things. Those are natural. And then over here are the things of supernatural and the spiritual. But God is in the business of redeeming our dualistic mindsets and gathering things back together into their proper accordance. And I believe that people with the gift of hospitality, like administration, like service, act as the bridge between the physical and the spiritual. And so we identify those as separate only to be able to bring them back together. So first, what does it mean to create a physical sense of home? I believe that when we actively step into creating physical environments, it becomes more conducive for spiritual things to take place. When we care for a spiritual environment, it says something about our intentions. You know, over the past year, we've seen our beloved ministry grow and blossom, and it began with this retreat that we did at Greg and Andy Singleton's house almost a year ago. And it became this beautiful theme through that entire weekend, that entire retreat, as we came before the Lord and we allowed the Spirit to bring inner healing into the broken relationships in our lives, that we sometimes just recognized the place that we were at. 
that we were invited into something more than somebody's house, but we were invited into a home. And why was that? It was because Greg and Annie had taken the time to create an atmosphere that was conducive for engaging with God. And I believe that's the beauty of creating a physical space. You can tell how much someone cares about you by the space that they've created for you to feel at home. Have you ever had that experience? You've got someone has invited you over and you come in and it's so welcoming and it's so peaceful. And that doesn't happen just randomly. That is people having the foresight to think through creating a space to welcome you in. I think it says so much about the way that you are valued by that person that they would be willing to do that. But I think hospitality also is that bridge. It sees, it seeks to have the spiritual realities and the physical realities fully integrated. And we talk about spiritual home. What are we talking about? It's something that we feel. It's something that we sense. We walk into a space and there's a presence. There's a difference. Something has shifted. And it becomes an environment where we can better encounter the Lord. I want to offer you this quote by St. Francis of Assisi. Francis says this, We have been called to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. Isn't that beautiful? Is that not our vocation as the church? Is that not our job as the people of God to do those three things, to invite healing, to be the the vehicle through which redemption and reconciliation happens, and also to call home those who have lost their way? Because Francis gives us such a gift here that I think is incredibly important for us to understand. We're all waiting to be called home, whether we realize it or not, because we are all the children of God. We are all his offspring. And some of you have heard the voice of the Father calling you home. And that's why you're here. And some of you are still waiting to hear that call. But when we have the gift of hospitality in place, we understand that we are choosing to see the human family, to see the image of God in everyone that we encounter without discrimination. If you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 25, I want to look at how Jesus frames this conversation about the idea of home and hospitality. He says this, beginning in verse 31. Now Jesus, this is his last week on earth before his crucifixion and resurrection, and his ministry has kind of been ramping up, but we see early in the story of Jesus is that Jesus is very sneaky, and he does things, and he does miracles, and he preaches, and he says, but don't tell anybody. Keep it under wraps. But what we see with Jesus marching into the city of Jerusalem in the week of Passover is that he begins to become more emboldened by the message of the kingdom advancing and becomes more emboldened with the message of himself being the Messiah. So we find this very bold, sometimes very difficult language from the mouth of Jesus. But it's important that we step into it with faith and confidence in who he is that we might be transformed. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Can I get a bah? Thank you. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. 
Does anybody know the difference between the two and what they sound like? Can model that for us? Any shepherds? I'm getting pointed over here. Someone really good at... Kaylee? Do you know how to make animal sounds? No? We need to talk about greenhouse later. But the, the position on the right side was always the position of honor. And so the sheep are being placed on the right and the goats on the left. Jesus continues in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Again, who are the brothers and sisters, the children of God? Who is the children of God, the human family? And it's so important to note here, this cannot be overstated, that Jesus looks at the outcasts, those who have been diminished, those who have been repelled, those who are not good enough, those who aren't worth anything by society's standards. And he says, I'm with them. That Jesus is so sacrificial and so in love with those kind of people that he associates them as being one in the same. Because Jesus points to our least of these and says, there is the kingdom, because there I am. Let's continue. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Oh, how I wish sometimes that I could stop reading after we talk about the righteous response. But these are the words of our Savior Christ Jesus. And what do we find from this passage? What do we find from this message of King Jesus, who is the triumphant entry into Jerusalem as the advent of his kingdom coming to this earth and destroying all other kingdoms, abolishing all other empires? That Jesus binds himself to the least of these. That the least of these become King Jesus in disguise. 
I once heard this story about an American reporter going to Calcutta to, re- to interview Mother Teresa, to observe the homes that she had set up for the sick and the dying and the orphans. And this reporter followed her for several days and watched as she held this little 10-year-old boy in her arms for three hours as he breathed his last breaths and died in that place. And the reporter said, how can you do this? How can you do this day after day? How can you sit with the sick and the dying and the hopeless and see all of this death around you all the time? And she said, I can't help it. I can't help it. Because every child I encounter is the beautiful disguise of the face of Christ. You want to know where to find Jesus. Look into the face of your least of these. Stare into the face of the hungry and the sick and the dying and the imprisoned. And you will find him. Hospitality is a foundational kingdom principle. Jesus binds himself to the least of these. It becomes Christ in disguise. And what this also conveys to us that in the last days, in the day of judgment, in the day of crisis, we will come before Jesus and we will make an account of how it is that we have treated other people. I am a firm believer that in this life we are justified by faith and by faith alone. It is not what you do that earns you a place in the kingdom of heaven. However, in the last days you will be judged according to your actions. Because your actions are the natural outgrowth of your faith and what has happened to you on the inside. It's not our eternal, external actions that earn us our salvation, but it is the internal revelation of Christ Jesus that we take by faith that transforms us from the inside out so that we too stand in the place of Mother Teresa and when we come across the hurt and the sick and the dying, we say, I, I can't help it. I can't help it but to be there for these people and to love them and to care for them. I can't help it because I am so compelled by the internal transformation in my life. The last judgment will be a meeting of faith and works. Or as St. James puts it, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you a faith that is dead. And I think that leads us to this. How we treat others is testimony to the truth alive within us. How we treat other people matters so much because it tells us whether or not we have received the truth of Christ Jesus, whether or not we have opened our lives to him and allowed him to transform us. This past Thursday in the Bible study that we've been doing called How to Study the Bible Without Joining a Cult, still open, it's still totally fun, and you will walk away with more questions than you have answers. But we were looking in Mark 4 at the parable of the mustard seed. It says, you know, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, but when it's planted, it grows in such a way that it gradually takes over the entire garden. And the new tree, this new bush that has choked out the rest of the garden, becomes the place where the birds find rest. And the word for birds there is is the undesirable birds, the foul birds, not the birds that you want in your garden like cardinals and wrens and blue jays, but starlings and crows and ravens, the birds that we work hard to keep out of our garden. Jesus uses that word. 
And what is he saying? That the kingdom of God moves from a seed to a tree in such a subtle way that it will gradually overtake this entire earth and it becomes the place where the undesired, the unvalued, the diminished and the reduced and the oppressed will finally find rest. That is the foundation of the kingdom of God. A couple of weeks ago, we had this rooftop party at our Alden space. And it was so beautiful and touching for me to see the rich diversity that God has sown together in this church as we continue to grow, as we continue to welcome in people from all walks of life. We are a church that believes that we are blessed the more that we come together and to share the journey of God. Because in doing so, the reality of his character is ever made known and more clear as we come together and to share those things with one another. And I wonder if that rooftop party is not in some small way a vision of the kingdom of God for us. Of this is what it's going to look like when God puts the world to right. A rich diversity, a rich amount of tribes and nations and tongues all coming together to worship the Lord God. And so much of what church is today is calling forward that that hopeful future into the present and allowing us to influence the way that we treat people on a daily basis. And in doing so, we enlarge our hearts. We enlarge our arm span to be able to welcome in those who are desperately searching for home. Let's turn to kindness. Let's talk about kindness for a second. We live in a world that is motivated by fairness. Perhaps even when you were growing up, you, you at a very early age gained this understanding of what it means for something to be fair. And it looks a little bit like this when we're children. He got more peas than I did. She gets to stay up later than I do. It's not fair. How many of you have said something along those lines? How many of you have heard that from your children or from your brothers and sisters? But we are trained up from an early age to pursue fairness. That there's some sort of cosmic scale between us and the other person that we always have to keep in balance. But my friends, I believe that we live in a spirit of impoverishment when we seek out fairness because we only apply it to those who have more than us. We look at those who have more privilege, who have more power, who have more wealth, who have more opportunity, and we say, it's not fair. They have more than me. We're supposed to be a fair society, and we champion for fairness. But conversely, when we look at those who have less than we do, not as much power, not as much wealth, not as many opportunities, we very conveniently turn a blind eye to those people and pretend that they don't exist so that we can continue to maintain the illusion of fairness when it comes to those of the most of these. I believe that we're raised up to believe in this illusion of fairness. But I think fairness has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not operate according to what is fair. The kingdom of God operates according to kindness. What is kindness? Radical kindness tips the scales of fairness in the favor of the other. 
Radical kindness is in that place where we take those cosmic scales between us and the other person and we operate in such a way that we offer them the benefits. We give them the favor. We tip those scales in their favor because we're offering them dignity and honor in what it is to be human. You see, the kingdom of God and radical kindness are not based on some sort of human standard and human system that we have created where we give people according to what they deserve, what we think they deserve for what they have done or what they haven't done or what they've done to us or what they haven't done for us. But it's based upon the kindness of God. Turn with me please to Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now in this day and age, if you are a tax collector, you work for the Roman government. So if you are a tax collector by default, you are a traitor against your own people because you're taking advantage of them for the sake of the empire. So imagine the position that that puts Zacchaeus in when it comes to his neighbors. He's despised. He's a pariah. He's seen as someone who has sold them out for the empire. Continue on, verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Can I get an amen? Anybody feel him? The struggle is real, y'all. The struggle is real. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, and this is so beautiful. He welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Zacchaeus, the sellout. Zacchaeus, the traitor. Zacchaeus, the thief, welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. If I've said it once, I've said it a million times, if you want to see each of these spiritual gifts in their best and most beautiful version, look at the life of Jesus. And here we see Jesus offering hospitality to Zacchaeus, that Jesus creates a spiritual and physical environment for Zacchaeus to transcend his labels, to transcend his curses, the curses of being a tax collector, a traitor, the curses of being a wealthy thief, the curses of being short. You can laugh at that. And the curse of being a sinner. Because everybody else in Zacchaeus' life said, look at that sinner. He is just a sinner. And that's all they see when they look at Zacchaeus. But Jesus creates an environment for Zacchaeus that he is able to transcend all of those labels, to come outside of those curses and meet his creator. 
because Jesus chooses to see Zacchaeus as a child of God. That that label transcends all other labels. That blessing is the remedy for all curses. And I love in Romans 2 that Paul says, don't you know that it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance? It wasn't somebody pointing their finger in your face. It wasn't somebody calling out all of your sins. It wasn't somebody typecasting you or or offering you some sort of prejudicial understanding of who you're supposed to be. It was God's kindness that offered you repentance. It was God's kindness when he tipped the scales in your favor. Because God does not operate according to what you deserve. If it was up to what you and I deserve, we all deserve hell. But it is the kindness of God through Christ Jesus that has brought us into repentance and new life and the opportunity to transcend our labels. And it enlarges Zacchaeus' heart that a hospitable Christ creates a hospitable disciple who immediately turns and says, I will give half of what I have to the poor. And if I have stolen from anybody, I will pay them back fourfold. And it becomes his salvation because he received by faith the reality of who Jesus is and the life that he was being offered. And I think this leads us to perhaps the biggest conclusion about hospitality. Kingdom transformation of people starts with and happens through hospitality. It starts with and it happens through. The story of God is undergirded with this story of a very hospitable creator creating space, creating home, operating through kindness in order to reconcile his creation. I love in the story of Saul, who later becomes Paul, I've, meant, I've preached before about when he's knocked off of his horse by the blinding light of Jesus, and he's converted and he's welcomed into a home in Damascus by a man whose name is Judas, who lives on Straight Street. And then God reaches out to a man named Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go to the house of Judas, and there you're going to find this man, Saul. And I've made him blind, but I want you to lay your hands on him and bring healing. Now, Ananias knows who this guy is, and he's not so sure, but he's obedient. And what happens? Ananias goes to the house of Judas, and he lays hands on Saul, and he says, Brother Saul, be healed in the name of Jesus. And Saul's eyes are opened, and he's baptized, and he's welcomed into that community. Immediately after that, Paul, that's still Saul at this point, is brought before the, the, head, the heads of the church in Jerusalem, Peter and James and all of the big players. And everyone in Jerusalem is afraid because they know who this guy is. You see, Saul was a terrorist. Saul was the equivalent of ISIS of his day. He went around systematically murdering Christians, murdering people who took the name of Jesus as the true Messiah and the Lord of all. And so it's very understandable that they're terrified. But one stands among them who's called Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement. And he says, let's just wait, because I believe the reality of what it is that Christ Jesus has done in the life of our brother Saul. Let's give him a chance. 
And it's because of the radical kindness and the gift of hospitality in all of these people leading Saul to that moment where he engages with Peter and James that launches him into his ministry where he brings the gospel message to the entire Gentile world. And I love that story because we see how often the gift of hospitality is partnered with the other gifts in such a way that it reminds each person present to treat somebody with the dignity and an honor of being human, of being a child of God, of being his image. We see in Ananias the prophetic and the gift of hospitality, marrying one another where he's able to lay hands on a terrorist and say, Brother Saul. We see in Barnabas, the gift of exhortation or encouragement and the gift of hospitality to say, no, I see him for who he truly is. I see him the way that Christ Jesus does. I believe that it's hospitality that is the solution to so many of the things that we come across in the world today. It's not argumentation. It is not us proving our faith by how much we know it is not about how many facts that we have. It's not about having the right arguments to convince somebody that this is real and true. It is in the gift of hospitality. Let me give you an example. In the 1970s in this country, the AIDS epi epidemic broke out within the gay community. And when the reports started to come, this in the late 60s through the 70s and the beginning of the 80s, it was called the gay cancer. That's how it was reported. We didn't, nobody knew what it was, but it was called the gay cancer. I had a friend who at the time was living in Haight-Asbury area in San Francisco, and he said that this bar that he and his friends went to had a wall where the names showed up week after week of people who were dying from AIDS in the gay community. And nobody knew what was going on. And you know what the church's response was? Nothing. The church did nothing. Because the church heard gay cancer. The church saw a group that it was afraid of. The church saw a group that it despised and took a step back and said, we don't want anything to do with this. And that curse, that it was a gay problem, that it was a gay disease, which we now know is utter foolishness, became a self-fulfilling prophecy because the American church did not stand up to do what it was supposed to do. The American church did not stand up to be the hands and feet of Christ that extend out the hand of hospitality to welcome in the sick and the dying and the outcasts and the diseased and the imprisoned. In this today, 2015, more than 30% of LGBT youth report at least one suicide attempt within the last year. More than 50% of transgender youth will attempt suicide by their 20th birthday. Over half. The church is not doing its job. The church is too afraid. The church wants to keep up walls of prejudice that keep us from having to get in the mix of life with other people. And I reject this idea soundly that you have to validate someone's lifestyle in order to love them. That is a false doctrine. I guarantee you, if you and I sit down for five minutes, we'll find something we don't agree on. I guarantee it. But this is not the way that we're called to operate. 
It comes down to how we treat people. It comes down to the content of our character and the way that we've been transformed from the inside out by Christ Jesus and how we step boldly into a world to call home those who have lost their way and to heal old wounds and to unite what has fallen apart. And this would be my question for you tonight. How much do you let prejudice affect the dignity and honor that you offer other people? Or do you have a threshold? Are there certain groups of people that you don't want to admit to them being human beings? That you don't really want to admit to them being children of God made in His image because it's too inconvenient? In Leviticus 19, we find this in the midst of the law, and I think this is so amazing. I think it's so true for today. In verse 33, the Lord says this, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. What is Yahweh saying to Israel? Welcome them in. Treat them as your own family. Treat them as your own kind. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You see, the truth is that we were all once far from God. Every single one of you, myself included, we were all once far from God. But he has welcomed us in. We were all discounted. We were all outcasts. We were all the least of these. Yet God aligned himself with us and welcomed us in. Are we not called to offer that same grace to the people that we encounter on a daily on a daily path? I think that people that have the gift of hospitality are able to cross the threshold of prejudice and still choose to love the other. To not allow the dividing walls of hostility to keep us from sharing heart with another human being and to offer them the dignity of what that entails. And I believe that it's people with the gift of hospitality that are able to love people and to create an environment in such a way that people are actually able to engage with the real and living Christ Jesus and find transformation, and find home, and find meaning, and all of these things that we say that we care about. People with the gift of hospitality love others all the way to the feet of Jesus. And I think they really get this. Human beings are not problems to be solved. They're precious children awaiting the welcome home. This isn't a math equation. This isn't homework. This is us choosing to see people the way that Christ Jesus does and to extend to them the hand of grace to welcome them home into the bosom of their Father. That is what we're called to as the church. That's the kind of transformation that we offer a world that desperately needs it. You know, when Israel had been an established country and the aliens were to be welcomed in as one of them, we now are those aliens. We are the resident aliens who live in a foreign country. But the people of God become a colony that shows what's possible when God is in charge. 
The church becomes the place that demonstrates what it means to live into the fullness of who God has called each of us to be. And to believe that that's actually the the healing balm that will save the world. So when you came in tonight, you were given a little tea bag. I told you I was going to start with tea and we're going to end with tea. And we're just going to open up for a moment. And I want you to contemplate with the Lord. Who is somebody in my daily life that I am called to be hospitable to? Perhaps it's someone that you have prejudice against. That because of what you believe, you will not allow yourself to associate with them. Perhaps it's someone who demonstrates to you the least of these, and they have been a pariah, or they're at the very least inconvenient to love. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to invite you to ask the Lord to illuminate to you somebody to extend the hand of hospitality to this week. And to find out what it looks like when we offer people the dignity and the honor of what it is to be human. So let's pray. Father God, in this moment, would you reveal to each of us someone that we need to be hospitable to? Father God, we confess and repent that we have not seen people in the way that you see them. That we have bound people by the labels that we've placed on them that we have bound people according to the things that we think that they deserve or that they don't deserve. Father God, we repent of that attitude. And we turn to you because we need you, because we love you. Lord, in this moment, would you give each of us a name and a face? After you write down a name, I want you to stand up. We come together to worship a good God who has created for us home. We come together to worship a good God who has demonstrated his radical kindness to us through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And we come together in this place to celebrate that as the body, as the bride. That as we worship, that reality sinks even deeper within our hearts and it transforms us from the inside out. And we get to carry with us the weight of that joy into the world to be the reflection of God that he has called us to be. And so, brothers and sisters, let's come together again to worship his good and holy name, his radical kindness on our behalf, and the beautiful vocation that he's called each of us to. So, Heavenly Father, once again, we declare that all things are for your glory. Lord, in this place tonight, would you move in us and through us? Would you root out of us places of prejudice where we have judged one another? Would you root out of us places where we have erected dividing walls of hostility between us and the people that aren't very convenient to us, or least of these? Lord, would you breed within us a deep and burning desire to step into the gift of hospitality, to say yes to your kingdom as it steadily advances in this world, and teach us how to see people the way that you see them. We dedicate this time to you by the power of the Holy Spirit in the strong name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.